0: We're going to talk about the task remaining, but I want to start out with a, a question. Um, what is the task remaining? Uh, it would be <clears throat> right? It would be hard to complete a task if we were unclear on what the task is. Fair enough? So what is the task remaining? Or another way to say it might be this: uh, Seeing that we're at a missions conference, if I were to ask you guys, what is the mission of the church? What would you say? Now, this is always interesting whenever I pose this question. Okay, so if I were to ask you guys this evening, man, what is the mission of the church, how would you respond? Okay, to know Jesus and make him known, thank you. Your name, ma'am? Wanda, thank you, Wanda, okay? Okay, make disciples of all nations, your name? Thanks, Pete. Anybody else? Okay? To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to help others do that. All right? Glorify God. Send out harvesters. It's good th- this is good stuff. Give me some more. What else do you think? Be a light to your community. Some of you are like, I don't know where he's going with this. I feel very nervous right now. (laughs) To complete the job Christ gave us to do. What is the mission of the church? Okay? What is the mission of the church? Glorify God. To be like that's all. Just say Jesus, and I'm good, right? Just Jesus, and I'm all right with that. That's, I'm safe that way. If I just say Jesus, that's what he wants. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. These are good. Any other thoughts on what is the mission of the church? Obedience. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now I find it interesting. I find it interesting that I ask a very simple question. What's the question? What's the mission of the church, and how many different answers did I get? Oh, somebody in the front row was like, wait a minute. All right, I ask a very simple question, man, what is the mission of the church, and all of these different answers that I get. I remember I was teaching at a church in Bakersfield, California, a couple hours north of uh, the Los Angeles area, and I'd actually, that Sunday morning, had taught from Genesis to Revelation on God's heart for the nations through Scripture, and then that Sunday afternoon, they invited me to stick around for a uh, one-hour question and answer session. And so that Sunday evening from 5 to 6 p.m., uh, they basically put me in the hot seat to have a, a Q&A, a one-hour question and answer session that actually turned into a two-hour question and answer session. And after I had walked from Genesis to Revelation and explained to them, man, here's God's heart for people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, which you'll hear tomorrow morning. Um, I said, what were your thoughts from what I shared this morning from God's word? And I'll never forget, this guy in the back row raised his hand and he said, are you saying that we shouldn't reach out to widows and orphans? Now, what do you think he's asking me? And we are like, I don't know what he's asking. What do you think he's asking me whenever he says that? I just presented from Genesis to Revelation, man, here's God's heart for the nations, like every tongue, tribe, people, nation. And this guy said, are you saying that we shouldn't be involved in ministering to widows and orphans? What's he asking me? Huh? Which is more important? Are you saying that God's heart for the nations is more important than ministering to widows and orphans? Now, what do you think I'm supposed to say? (laughs) It's like I'm pinned against the wall, right? Like, uh, well, uh, mm, uh, you know. And so, man, you can tell that it immediately got hot real quick. And we began to open up this can of worms for the next two hours talking about, man, what is the mission of the church? It's a very simple question. What is the mission of the church? So let me ask it another way. Who defines the mission of the church? And this is the softball answer, by the way. Jesus, right. Okay. God defines the mission of the church. Where might we find his definition of mission? In the Bible. Yes, that's also right. Again, I, tell you, I promise you, I'm giving you easy ones. No trick questions here. Who defines the mission of the church, you guys? God, Jesus. Okay, where might we find that definition? In the Bible. And so how does the Bible define the mission of the church? There it is. Jesus' last sermon before he ascends to the Father. Jesus preached a lot of things before the crucifixion and the resurrection. Post-resurrection, Jesus has one sermon. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to all creation. Forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name to all what, you guys? It's up there, by the way. (laughs) All what? (laughs) Nations? As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So, who defines the mission? Jesus. Where might we find that definition? In the Bible. How does the Bible define the mission? All what? Nations. All nations is how the Bible defines the mission of the church. Now, you can make an argument. I understand this. And for those of you who are Bible scholars, you can argue with me, well, you know, the focus of the Great Commission is on making disciples. It's not the all nations part that matters. We can have that debate later if you want to talk about it. Clearly seen from the text, Jesus gives us the marching orders of the church. Here is the mission of the church. Now, a person could say, well, Sean, it's, it's more than that. And I would go with you there and I would say, sure, that's fine. The, the mission of the church is more than making disciples of all the nations. But I, what I can say is that it's never less than that. So if you wanted to say, hey, you know, Sean, it's way bigger than just making disciples of all the nations. It is, right, for the glory of God. It is loving our neighbors. It is these other things that we talked about. And I might go as far to say, sure, that's fine. It could be more than that, but it is never less than all what? Nations. And the reality of it is, you guys, I think that a lot of times, I think that a lot of times, There's a lot of things that we do in the name of missions that never materialize into making its way to the nations. Does that make sense? You guys with me? And I'm not being condemning, by the way. I'm just addressing what I see on a nationwide level. As as my wife and I have spent nearly the last decade traveling this entire country, we haven't been in every church, but we've been in a lot of churches. And I would tell you that God's given us, by his grace and nothing else, a decent understanding of sort of the evangelical um, status of global missions in this country, if you will, all right? So, God defines the mission. We find that definition in Scripture. So how does Scripture define it? All nations. So we need to unpack, what is a nation? Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, okay? I know just enough Greek to sound smart and be real dangerous, and to snow people over and make them think I'm smart. So I know just enough Greek to be dangerous. And if you take the, the, the passage in Matthew 28 that we typically call the Great Commission, and you take that word nations, and you translate it back into Greek, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, that word nations actually translates into this word right here, ethnos. And depending on whether it's plural or singular, it might be ethne or "pontata ethne. But for simplicity's sake, we're going to say ethnos. So whenever I say Man, go and make disciples of all ethnos, what does that sound, what English word does that sound like? Ethnicities, right? So all ethnicities. When Jesus said go and make disciples of all the nations, we didn't have lines on the map. Geopolitical nations, so to speak, did not exist. So Jesus couldn't mean go and make disciples of like all of Nigeria is a nation state, or all of Afghanistan, or all of China, so to speak. Because those lines wouldn't have been on the map when Jesus said those words. So when he says, go and make disciples of all ethnos, what we're talking about is a race, a tribe, specifically a non-Jewish one, a Gentile, a heathen, a nation, or a what, you guys? What's it say? A people group, okay? So let me illustrate for you what we're talking about. This right here is the country of Nigeria. Now, if we were to take, Ben, can I pick on you, since we sat at the dinner table together for about, what, Two minutes before I had to roll out. Okay, if we were to take Ben and we were to drop him into Nigeria... ...and let's say that Ben is an incredible evangelist, right? Wherever he shares his faith, the Holy Spirit is mercifully upon him... ...and people repent, they put their faith in Christ alone... ...and they give their lives to Christ, right? So, man, Ben is, is, has this gift of evangelism or at least the favor of the Spirit... ...as he preaches the gospel, man, people come into the kingdom. Now, if I were to ask a question... We drop Ben into the country of Nigeria, and he's this incredible evangelist. Maybe he's the next Billy Graham. If I were to ask you the question, how long do you think it's going to take Ben to reach all of Nigeria, what do you think the answer to that question might be? What's, who said, somebody said never. Who said never? Your, ma- your name, ma'am? Lacey. Thank you. Lacey says never. Why do you say that, Lacey. Okay, so it is the Holy Spirit's work. Oh, did you see that? She just, she just slipped right out from her. Because it's the Holy Spirit's work. That's why I said the Holy Spirit's upon him, right? He's, get, he's got the favor of the Lord with him. How long do you think it's going to take him? 32 days? Okay, good answer. <clears throat> I like where you landed there. Because it multiplies? All right. What's this in the front row? Whoa, whoa, here's the answer, never, but not because the Holy Spirit does the work, okay? Here's why, this is what Nigeria really looks like, okay? When we think of Nigeria, like I said earlier, we think of a nation state. However, Nigeria is not as simple as a nation state. Nigeria has multiple ethnic groups or people groups within that country, and so all of these different, uh, I don't even know what you'd call them, blobs, if you will, all these different blobs represent a different what, you guys? Ethnic group or people group, okay? And why am I telling you all this? Man, Jesus says, make disciples of all what? People groups, okay? Jesus wants representatives in heaven with him from every people group. Now, tomorrow morning, I'm going to show you from Scripture that they're going to be there when we get to heaven. We're, we're sort of in this, we're in this space of time right now where we're finishing the task that I'm talking about tonight. But what I'm saying is, man, these, this right here is what he means when he says, make disciples of all nations. There are over 450 ethnic groups just in the country of Nigeria alone. Now, how does this change things? When we redefine mission as all ethnic groups. Why, how does that change things? How does, this, how does this truth, how does this factual information change things? Yeah, you can't send one missionary to Nigeria and consider the country reached. That's one reason why it changes things. How else does this change things? I want you guys to wrestle through this, okay, as a body. How else does this change things? Yeah. <laughs> Your name? Sam. Have you taken like a missions class, Sam? She says no. You can share Jesus in English with people, but if they don't, what, Sam? if they don't understand you it makes no sense how else does this change the way we define missions or mission if you will yeah one person cannot disciple all of those people groups right good how else does this change the way that we define Mission, yeah. You got to deal with the political side of things. That's exactly right. These people groups might be governed differently within their own people group, if I was understanding correctly. How else does this change the mission? Yeah, your name? Joey, hold that thought, Joey. We're going to come back around to that. The mission just got a lot what, you guys? Bigger. The question is not where are we sending people, but to whom are we sending people? You see the difference? What exactly is a people group? Let me give you a a working definition. A people group is the largest group which, which, excuse me, I got carried away, A people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread without encountering obstacles of understanding or acceptance. Okay, It's the largest group of people within which the gospel can spread without encountering what? An issue of understanding and an issue of acceptance. Now, there are lots of things that define a people group. So geography might define a people group. Uh, Socioeconomic status might define a people group. Um, Religious barriers might define a people group. There are several things that define a people group, but the primary thing that defines a people group is a difference in language. Okay, It's not the only thing, but I would argue that it's the primary thing. So there are a lot of things that shape what a people group is that separate it from another people group. But the primary thing is what, you guys? Language, okay? One people group is speaking a different language than another people group. Which means that no matter how big of a rock you throw into that pond, the ripples are not going to make it outside the bank. You with me? Does that illustration make sense? So somebody's going to have to take the, the rock of the gospel, and throw it where? Into another pond, into another people group. So another way we illustrate on staff of the traveling team is the world is not so much like a pancake, it's more like a waffle, okay? And we have to pour the gospel into every single square. Now, some of you are gone, the analogy breaks down because, man, if you just dump the maple syrup on there, it just covers the whole thing. I understand, okay? I'm with you there. I'm with you there. So, do you guys understand what a people group is? Now, the reason this matters, here's why this matters. What does Paul say in Romans 10, 15 through 17? Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word. People believe when the gospel is preached, and the Spirit sees fit to open their eyes and make them believe, right? So, if they don't speak the language and they can't preach the gospel in the language that those people speak, what's the problem? We've got a bottleneck. You see the issue. So we're talking here, man, what is the mission of the church? Who defines it? God. Where do we find the answer in the scripture? What's the scripture tell us? All what? Nations. And what is a nation? It's a people group. It's an ethnic group. It's an ethno-linguistic group. Primarily, it's going to be defined by a different language that's being spoken. So if the gospel is going to make it out of one ethnic group into another ethnic group, what is going to have to happen? Someone's going to have to preach, but if it's going to make it out of one ethnic group into another, what's going to have to happen? Someone's going to have to learn a new language and a new culture that changes things. So if this is what a people group is defined by, let's talk about the status of people groups in the world. Again, tonight's kind of technical, okay? but this is very, very, very important as we talk about global missions. So just hang with me if you're an engineer in the room you're probably loving this for some of the rest of you guys you're going man get to the good stuff this is the good stuff <clears throat> okay Roughly today by our count there are about 16,700 ethnic groups in the world So we estimate that there's about 16,700 ethnic groups or people groups in the world today There are people who go out there, anthropologists, both Christian and non, who discover these people groups and determine that they speak different languages and have different belief systems. And so we've come to the conclusion that there's about 16,700 ethnic groups in the world. Of those 16,700 people groups, roughly 7,050 of them are what we would consider to be unreached. Okay? Okay. So, mathematicians in the room, what percentage is 7,050 out of 16,700? Almost half. Almost half of the people groups in the known world today are what we would consider to be unreached. Now, let me define for you what I mean when I say the word unreached. Okay? Okay. Because this is important. The way that I'm defining unreached is not the way that your typical Christian in America defines the word unreached, and this matters. When I use the word unreached, what I mean is that they primarily, these people groups, have no access to the gospel, right? So let me ask you a question. Before you answer, think carefully. Are there unreached people in Cape Girardeau? Some people are saying no, some people are saying yes. What makes them unreached? That they don't have what? Access to the gospel. Now there could be, if you wanted to get real technical, there could be some unreached people in Cape who don't have access to the gospel, but for the most part, I would say that people in Cape are not unreached. Now they might be unsaved, and they need the gospel preached to them, but for the most part, they speak what language? English, which means they can come here on Sunday morning and hear Eric preach, or somebody else preach, or Ben preach. They can come to a Bible study at somebody's house, and the the gospel is presented in what language? English. They can go to Barnes & Noble, right? They don't even have to go to a Christian bookstore, and they can buy a Bible, and the Bible is in what language? English. So people in Cape, by my definition of the term, are not Un-reached. Again, they might be unsaved, but they're not unreached. When I'm talking about 7,050 unreached ethnic groups, what I mean is that these people could not say yes to Jesus even if they wanted to. It's not as though they're rejecting Jesus because there's no Jesus to what? Reject there's no Bible in their language where they can understand who he is and what he's done and how God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures and ultimately in the person and the work of Jesus. They wouldn't know even if they, had, if they wanted to. They couldn't know. There's no one there who speaks their language well enough who can tell them about who Christ is and what Christ has done. There's no church there that's viable enough and self-sustaining enough to be able to preach the gospel to them in a way that they can hear it, believe it, and understand it. You with me? So I'm talking about almost 50% of the world's ethnic groups that are cut off from the gospel. Again, it's not as though they're rejecting Jesus. There is no Jesus to reject. So, why do I mention all of this technical jargon? Why do I spend nearly 25 minutes, if you will, belating this particular issue? Well... About 5,874 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are located in this part of the world that we call the 1040 window. Now, raise your hand if you've heard of this term before, just so i got to feel where I'm from. Okay. Look, hold them up. Look around. Consider yourself an anomaly. 50 to 75% of the Christians that I interact with across this country have never heard of the 1040 window. They're like, is that a tax form? I'm like, well, for some of you it might be. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Kids, you'll get that later on. Some of you adults are like, we've got like 20 days, we need to hurry up. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, consider yourself blessed just based upon the fact that you are aware of what the 1040 window is. This part of the world that gets its name from the two latitudes that make it up, the 10th and the 40 degree north latitude. Now, it's not where all of the unreached people groups in the world are, but it's where the primary majority of them are, 5,800. Now, again, why all of this technical stuff? Why all this defining, what is missions, how do nations, ethne? Why all this semantics, if you will? Here's why. And this will probably be the most controversial thing I say all night. And I don't expect all of you to agree with me on this. Let's unpack this statement real quick before I move on any further. What do I mean whenever I say, if missions is everything, missions is nothing? Again, some of you just went from like, well, he was okay to now I don't like him. (laughs) What do I mean whenever I say this? Eric, go ahead, bud. Yep. Exactly. Okay, that's, that's half of the answer. And for those of you who couldn't hear Eric, here's what he said in summary. If the mission is unclear, if the task is unclear, if our definitions are nebulous, then that impacts whether or not we're actually fulfilling the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. You with me? So that's half of it. Man, if missions is everything, then missions is nothing. If it's nebulous, if it's fuzzy, it's problematic. It has major implications. Semantics matter. Why else do I bring this up? What else do you guys think that I mean when I say this? Good response, Eric. (laughs) If the Bible says that missions is such a big deal, then... It shouldn't be such a big deal that we go do it. Is kind of what I heard you say. It should be, it should be normal. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's exactly right. Okay, I am addressing the dichotomy that exists among evangelicals today that everyone is a missionary. Now, I was just in central Arkansas last week, and I got a fierce reply from somebody who was sitting in a class that I was teaching who said just what you were saying, and remind me one more time, it's Brett, Brett, that's right, okay. I'm addressing the dichotomy that everyone is a missionary. What is the problem when all of us are missionaries? None of us are missionaries. Some of you still are, some of you are still trying to wrap your mind around the wordiness of of the phrase. A point in all directions is a point in what? No direction. If everyone's a leader, no one's what? A leader. If everything is missions, nothing is missions. What else am I trying to address with this right here? Missions what, bud? Okay. Why else is this important that we address this issue? Yeah, in the back again, ma'am. This has implications for where we spend our money. I can't tell you how many churches that I've been to, and I've said, man, tell me about what God's doing here. Man, we are very missions-minded. And I say to them in the most pr- appropriate way possible, okay, can we, would you guys be willing to talk about your budget with me? They're like, no, don't go publicizing it there. I'm like, hey, don't worry. Let's talk about your budget. And they say, man, we're doing missions. And we start looking line item by line item by line item where their spending is going. And most of it stays right where? Right within our local church, and right within our city, and right within our state. But it's all what? It's all missions. Okay? Now, again, I know some of you are like, man, he's stirring the pot. I know. If everything is missions, then nothing is missions. What what else are the implications for this? This is good. You guys are thinking. If it's nebulous, it creates problems. It has impact on our spending. Okay, yes, sir. (laughs) Your name? Mike Smith. Can everybody hear what Mike Smith said? Mike, would you say it again and just give us all the amp you can give us? Okay? Yeah, I feel free if you want to stand up and preach. That'd be fine. That's exactly right, Mike. Man, if I'm a missionary right here to my lost neighbor, Tom and Sarah Sawyer, if I'm a missionary to them... Why would I pack my family up and go to the ends of the earth? No need. I'm I'm, I'm doing missions right here across the street. No, 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 no. I'm just being a Christian. Okay? You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm just doing what Christians do, which is share their faith with their neighbor. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not being a missionary, so to speak. Now, again, I don't expect all of you to agree with me on this. My own senior pastor doesn't agree with me on this. My father-in-law, who's a pastor for 30 years and who lives in Kiev, Ukraine, as a seminary professor, does not agree with me on this. So some of you might walk out here and go, man, I just can't go there with Sean. But when you really start unpacking it, like Eric and Mike and some of the rest of you were saying, man, if everything is missions and my wife is a missionary to our daughter, well, she's a missionary to our daughter. No, she's just a Christian mother. And she's raising our daughter in the admonition of the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? If she's just a missionary, why on earth would we go to these hard, unreached parts of the world? So I, if, if you want to call it something else, that's fine with me. Okay? We don't have to use the same language. But don't muddle it up into one great big melting pot and say, oh, we're all missionaries. I mean, back in January, I was preaching at a church in Shreveport. And I got up and I shared with with them what I'm going to share with you guys tomorrow morning. And that evening, a guy got up and was like, man, we're all missionaries right here where we're at. And I just thought to myself, man, I love you, brother, but why would anybody leave if we're all missionaries? I would have no incentive to go to the hardest parts of the world and do the necessary work of church planning, learning language, learning a culture if I'm a missionary to my neighbor, Tom and Sarah Sawyer. You guys tracking with what I'm saying? Now, you guys get to go home tonight and wrestle with this stuff and the implications of this. But I want to take it all the way back to the very beginning. What is the task remaining? What is the mission of the church? And if we're not clear on what the mission is, which is defined by God in the Scripture as all nations, am I about making disciples? You bet. But oftentimes it never materializes itself into the what part? The nation's part. And so then we say things like, well, we're all missionaries. And we excuse ourselves in the name of creative Christian language. That's all I'm aiming for, is to press against, to press against some of these ideas that swim within our culture and within our church culture. And we don't realize, just like you were saying, there are implications for this. It affects our budget spending. It affects people willing to make the decision to go to the hard parts of the world learn a culture, learn a language, and all these other necessary things. Now, is that to say, is that to say, hear me clearly, it will be inevitable that some of you will walk out of here tonight and you'll go, well, this is what I heard him say. Am I saying that people who are on staff, for example, with campus outreach are unnecessary? Is that what I'm saying? No, not at all. Am I saying that it is unnecessary that we reach out to our lost neighbors or that that's unimportant? No, am I saying that the person who stays home and reaches out to their lost neighbor who speaks English and who can read an English Bible is any less of a Christian than somebody who packs up and goes overseas to unreached peoples like Mike said? Is that what I'm saying? No. But what I am saying is they're not the same thing. You with me? Hear me clearly. One is not necessarily more spiritual Or like favored more in God's eyes, I'm simply saying by definition of term, they are not the same thing. And when they become the same thing, it has huge implications to us finishing the task of making disciples of all ethne. Knowing that 5,800 of them are in some of the hardest parts of the world to reach. They are unreached for a reason. Because all the easy ones have been what? Reached. You with me? Okay, so if they don't believe in Jesus, then what do they believe in? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to run you very quickly through a nice little acronym. Everybody, hold up your thumb, okay? Everybody, hold up your thumb. If you don't have one, your neighbor probably does. Look around, check your neighbor. Does your neighbor have one? Your spouse, your husband, that kind of deal? Okay, hold up your thumb. If they don't believe in Jesus, then what do they believe in? They probably believe in one of these five things. Now, there are a lot more religions out there in the world than just these five, but the five that we're going to talk about are the five primary non-Christian religions. So what are the five that are, that are alongside of Christianity? The, the big ones, if you will. And they make up an acronym that spells the word thumb. And the T stands for what, you guys? What's it say? Tribal, okay? When we think of tribal people, for those of you who can see the screen, a little fuzzy, but uh, this is typically what we think of when we think of the tribal world, right? National Geographic, painted face, bone through the nose, Gourds for clothing, you can figure that out later, okay? That's the kind of thing that literally we're talking about when we think of the tribal world. It's what often comes to mind. Now, what do tribal people believe? Well, they usually believe in what's called animism. And animism is a belief system that poses or posits that spirits basically reside in everything, whether it's an animate object or an inanimate object. Now, the great thing is, is you guys are sending some missionaries, the Schraders, to go to the tribal world, So I'm just giving you a thumbnail of what the tribal world looks like. If you want to know more, they spent the last four years training on, man, what does the tribal world believe? So they're probably even listening to me talk going, no, that's actually not what they believe, Sean. We need to correct you. But for the most part, they believe in animism, which means that spirits reside in all kinds of different things, whether it's an animate object or an inanimate object. And all of life is about appeasing these spirits. So you have to perform the right ritual, In order to satisfy these angered spirits. So, you don't know if a spirit's in a person, you don't know if it's in a rock. So, try to put yourself in the shoes of a tribal person for like 20 seconds. Spirits live in everything, and you don't want to do anything to upset the spirits. So, what would it be like to be a tribal person? You would live how? Constant fear, all the time. You have no idea if you've angered the spirit from a neighboring tribe, if you've angered the rain spirit, which means you didn't get water, which means your crops don't grow, which means that your people starve. And maybe that's your fault. Maybe that's your spouse's fault. Maybe that's somebody in your own tribe's fault or a neighboring tribe's fault. You live in constant fear. Now, I recognize and realize that you're probably not going to see a tribal person walking down the streets in Cape Girardeau. Some of you are like, you had not been here long. Just stick around. Maybe there are people like that walking around here. There certainly are in Fayetteville, where I'm from. So you're not going to see a tribal person who's probably going to be walking down the street in Cape, so why does it matter? Because the question that we're asking is, what is the task remaining, right? Why does it matter to you guys? Why does it matter to me? Why does it matter how I raise my kids, how I spend my money, what I do with my time? Why does all this matter with regards to the tribal world? Here's why. There's about 300 million tribal people in the world. Again, I'll need to draw on my mathematicians. So we're talking about 300 million tribal people in the entire world in a population of about 7 billion. What's that percentage? Well, I'll tell you, it's about 3 to 5%. Some of you guys were slow. I was looking for my mathematicians to work a little faster. So the tribal world, get this, you guys, makes up only 3 to 5% of the world's population. However, out of the 6,913 languages in the world, out of the 6,913 languages in the world, 5,100 of them are spoken by tribal people. Which means that 3 to 5% of the world's population makes up 71 to 75% of the world's what? Languages. And what defines a people group primarily? That they speak a different what, you guys? Language. So it's not about how many people there are within that group or that ethnic group, but do they speak a different language? So 3 to 5% of the world's population is speaking 71% of the world's languages. And if we're going to talk about finishing the task... Man, we've got to come to grips with this reality of, whoa, this one religion group alone makes up a huge portion of the language groups that are left to be reached, if you will. Now, I'll just run you through this very quickly. We have some friends. um, The Schraders are not the only ones, but we have several friends who have gone through missions training with new tribes. And some of our friends, the crab trees, they're actually working in the highlands of Papua New Guinea right now with a people group called the Wantakeans. And I remember before the crab trees launched to go overseas, Jack and his wife were raising support. I'll never forget this story. And I asked Jack, I said, Jack, man, tell me how support raising's going as you guys are getting ready to launch for the, you know, for the ends of the earth. And you're gonna go to Papua New Guinea. And I said, I was excited for him. I said, tell me how support raising's going. I said, what are you experiencing? And he said, you know, he said, I keep getting this repeated question asked to me. And I said, what is the question? And he said, as we sit down and meet with people to talk to them about support, the question that keeps coming up that people keep asking me is how long do you plan on being there? I heard somebody over here sort of scoff. Why were were you scoffing? That's not quite the way it works. This guy's taking perspectives. If you guys don't know what that is, we can talk about that later. Your face looked familiar, okay? Now, I'm not saying that all the people who are asking Jack and his wife, Lael, how long is it going to take? I'm not saying all of them were saying this, but I suspect that some of them were asking what? Thank you. How long do I got to bankroll you? Now, I'm not saying all of them were saying that, but I suspect that a few of them probably were. How long is it going to take? And I said to Jack, I said, Jack, what do you tell them when they ask you that? And he said, I have a very simple answer. He said, I tell them. It is a task commitment, not a time commitment. We will stay there until the church is planted, elders are raised up, the scripture is translated in their language, and we can hand off the baton to that church so that that church can reach their own widows, their own orphans. They can be transformed by the power of the gospel to stop raping their children and stop eating their neighbors. It's a task commitment, not a time commitment. We'll stay there until the job is done. Now, there are plenty of missionaries, I would say, who are on the field who probably need to come home. They don't have a clearly defined task. But the argument that I'm making from this point of view is that, man, Jack would tell them. It's a task commitment. It may take us four to eight years to learn the language because it's not written, which means we're going to have to create an alphabet from scratch. And then we're going to have to teach those people how to read their own language. And then once they can read their own language, because some of them have never seen a piece of paper or pencil in their life, They don't know what an alphabet is. So once we take five to eight years to learn the language, tell those people what their own language is, teach them to speak it, then what we're going to have to do is begin to preach the gospel to them. Once we preach the gospel to them, people begin to come into the church, and they get saved. Well, then we're going to have to disciple them. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Matthew 28, Jesus said, how do you disciple them? Teaching them to Obey all that I've commanded you. However, if they don't have a Bible, they don't know what Jesus has commanded. So now they're going to have to do what? They're going to have to translate the scriptures so they can build up the church like you said. Well, you know, we can get that done in a couple weeks, can't we? Isn't there some sort of microwave version? No, absolutely not. To go back to Joey. How long is it going to take, Joey? A lifetime. T stands for tribal people. H, what do you guys think that stands for? Hindus, that's right. H stands for Hindus. Largest Hindu populated country in the world is India, with about a billion Hindus living there. India is a polytheistic, and Hinduism, so to speak, is a polytheistic religion, which means many gods. They worship many gods. Um, We estimate that there are probably upwards of 330 million Hindu gods that's more gods in Hinduism than there are people in America so whatever you know whatever god you want whatever god you might need to create game on there are gods for all kinds of different things Uh, there are gods for strength there are gods for money Uh, there are gods for illnesses and sicknesses I remember whenever I was in India um, on a short-term trip myself there I remember I was with a Hindu friend of mine and we walked into a Hindu temple and this right here Uh, was what was in the temple. And these Hindus were coming in, and they were dipping their hands uh, in the water basin on top, and they were taking the water from the basin, and then they were touching the stone that is underneath that pot there. And so I asked my Hindu friend, I said, man, tell me about what's happening right here. And he said, well, this right here, this stone, um, it actually represents the, the phallus of the god Shiva. And so people who are struggling with fertility come in here, and they worship this stone right here, which represents the phallus of Shiva. All those things that we read about in the Old Testament, that the nations, they were in idol worship, that still exists in the world today. Now in Hinduism, because it's polytheistic, not only did they have a god for all these different things, be it fertility, wealth, be it strength, be it sickness, not only did they have all these gods, but you can imagine... That if we're going to talk about finishing the task, if we go to India to preach the gospel and I say to a Hindu, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? What's my Hindu friend going to tell me? Well, of course. Why is he going to say that? He's going to throw him on the pile. So just like you were saying earlier, man, part of finishing the task means that we're not only going to probably have to learn a language, but we're going to have to learn their culture. Some of the things that we say in Christian America, right? we just can't roll that over if we're going to talk about taking the gospel there because the things that we say here might mean something entirely different when we go there. Now, does that mean that we preach a different gospel? No. It means we're going to have to figure out how to communicate it differently. And so you can imagine, man, going there and having to learn a language in, in a different culture and you're dealing with polytheism, throwing Jesus on the pile among many. There are 2,595 people groups in India. There are more ethnic groups in India alone than there are any other nation-state. Of those 2,595 ethnic groups, 2,314 of them are unreached. So where does India and Hinduism sort of fall into the task remaining? It's the largest ethnic group nation-state in the world, so to speak. 2,300 unreached people groups. T stands for tribal, H stands for, U stands for, thank you, for those of you who are familiar with the traveling team, China. Now, some of you are thinking, wait just a second, China is not a religion, it's a country. And didn't he tell us? <laughs> yes, yes, I know, okay, if you, the, if you take the U, everybody hold up your U like this, you kick it over on its side, what do you get? A C, Okay. We couldn't use the acronym THUCCUM because it was like really close. And so we needed to be careful with our language there. And so we had to take a different letter. So China is not a religion. It's a country. But because one in every seven people walking on the planet are Chinese, they make up a huge portion of the unfinished task. That's why we lump them in with these other four major non-Christian world religions. So China is atheist-communist. If you were to ask a Chinese person what do they believe in China, they will typically tell you three things. We believe in ourselves, we believe in the Communist Party, and we believe in science. That's what most Chinese people will tell you when you ask them, "What what, what are your faith beliefs? They'll say, we believe in those three things. We don't have any religion. We're atheists. We're communists. So we lump them in because they make up such a significant portion. Now, why do I mention China? One, because there are so many of them, but two, I want to point out something else. Raise your hand if you've heard that God is doing big things in China. Anybody who's heard these kinds of things, right? Man, millions of people are coming to Jesus in China. And that is something that we should celebrate. In 1949, there were a million Protestants in China. Today, 60 years later, estimates are somewhere, okay, on the conservative side, according to the Chinese government, 25 to 28 million. Upwards... Some foreign scholars will say upwards of 100 million. In 1949, a million Christians, Protestant Christians. Today, somewhere between 25 and 100 million Christians. Now, is that something worth celebrating? Absolutely. That is the answer to decades of prayer and people going. However, what most people aren't aware of is the fact that the vast majority of that figure, whatever it is, between 25 and 100 million The vast majority of that figure come from one ethnic group, the Han Chinese. So while we can celebrate the fact, right, that there are millions of people who are coming into the kingdom through God's work in China, most of them are from one ethnic group. And Jesus says, I want disciples from all. There are over 500 ethnic groups in China alone and so again as we talk about the task remaining we can celebrate what god's done but we need to come to grips with the reality that man there is a huge task to finish t stands for tribal h stands for hindu u stands for m it's actually methodist sorry i'm just kidding it's muslims okay some of you're like i am a methodist easy there you're treading on thin ice okay m stands for muslims Now, Muslim is not the religion. What's the religion? Islam. So a Muslim believes in Islam. You with me? Muslims believe in Islam. What do we know about Islam? It is the second largest religion in the world, second to Christianity. It is the fastest growing religion in the world by birth rate. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, God said to Adam and Eve. The Muslims have got that figured out. Two kids, two and done? No way, man. We're going to populate the earth. They are filling the earth. Fastest growing world religion by birth rate. (coughs) The founder of Islam is who? The prophet Muhammad. Any good Muslim will follow the five pillars of Islam. I would be shocked if we can't come up with the five of them amongst this group. So what do we think the five pillars of Islam are? By the way, jihad is not one of them. Okay, so don't say that. What are the five pillars of Islam? Do you guys know what they are? What's what? Okay, shahada, which that's a a $10 word. What's that mean? Okay, so the creed, that's exactly right. So Muslims recite a creed, there's only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Okay, so you recite the creed if you're a good Muslim. What are the other four? Let's knock them out together. They give alms, that's right. They pray five times a day, there's three. They fast during the month of Ramadan and... They take a hajj, or a trip to Mecca once in their lifetime if they can afford it. So it's a works-based religion. It's totally a works-based religion. Why does it matter that we talk about Islam? Why does it matter that we talk about Muslims? Because, well, it's the second largest religion in the world. And because for anybody who's watching the news right now, it's a pretty hot topic. Especially with regards to the issue of immigration and refugees, which I'll talk about tomorrow morning. We'll just leave it at that. Where Where did the prophet Muhammad get the five pillars of Islam? You ever wondered? Well, there are scholars that will argue that he picked it up from Judaism and Christianity. Because he was living in the Middle East, whenever he was living in Mecca, in, I guess it was 570 AD, Mecca was a polytheistic city, 360 deities. There was one deity for every tribe in the city of Mecca at the time. Muhammad goes off to a cave, gets a vision from the angel Gabriel. Go and recite these words. There is only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. So how am I going to build a, a religious belief system? Well, what if I adopt some ideas from Judaism and Christianity? Where does he get the creed? There is only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, I believe. What is that? The Shalom, the Lord God. The Lord our God is one. And what does Muhammad do? He just attaches what? His name. Muhammad is his prophet. He looked around at Jews and realized, man, Jews pray seven times a day. Christian monks pray three. We'll hit in the middle. How many times? Five. Jews make three trips to Jerusalem a year for major feasts and holidays. Mecca, once in your lifetime. Well, Jews give 10%. We'll go easy on on our Muslim people and make them give what? Two, two and a half percent. What's the other one that I missed? Did I get them all? Fasting. Well, (laughs) Jesus fasted 40 days. So we'll fast for the month of Ramadan. Wow. Something you may have never known before. There are a lot of overlaps between Christianity and Islam. However, they do not believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died for atonement, the forgiveness of our sins through the shedding of his blood. T stands for, H stands for, M stands for. Sorry, I missed the letter. Woo, You guys are with me. Good, some of you are still awake. T stands for H-U-M-B, Buddhists, Okay. What do Buddhists believe? Well, Buddhism is more of a philosophy and a way of life than it is a religion. In its purest form, Buddhism is actually atheistic. Uh, They they don't believe in God. Um, They believe in reaching enlightenment. They believe in reaching nirvana. And even every single time that I talk about Buddhism, no matter how I say it, it's like it's so confusing. It is an offshoot of Hinduism. So it adopts some of the ideas that come out of Hinduism, like reincarnation, karma, and different things like that. Uh, but Siddhartha Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, um, was dissatisfied with what he saw among Hindu gurus, and so he basically branched off and decided to go form his own religion. What do Buddhists believe? Well, they believe in following the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, which again is another form of works-based religion. And the whole goal of a Buddhist is to uh, ...reach nirvana, which means you reach enlightenment... ...which means that you no longer suffer... ...and you are able to spin yourself off from the wheel of samsaras. You guys are going, I have no idea what he just said. Yeah, just go read some books on Buddhism... ...and you'll probably find yourself in some of the same situation. From a very practical standpoint... ...let's say that we go to Thailand, a Buddhist country... ...and we say to our Buddhist friends, would you like to be born again... No, no, they're going to say, no, I don't want to be born again. No, I don't want eternal life. I want off the cycle of eternal life. I want away from that. So again, you can see as we talk about finishing the task, man, we've got to understand their culture. We better be able to speak their language so that we know what we're saying. So to say to them, do you want to be born again? They're going to go, no, run, get away. I've already done that. I've been doing that for years on end. So if they don't believe in Jesus, chances are they probably believe in one of these five things. Tribal, Hindu, China, Muslim, or Buddhists. Okay. Each one of these little green dots, which I know you can't see, those are green dots up there, represent 50,000 Muslims. <clears throat> each one of those orange dots represents 50,000 Buddhists, and each one of those, well, 50,000 yellow dots, dot, if you will, <laughs> represent 50,000 Hindus. So, 50,000, right? Each dot represents 50,000 people. You can see that the blue dots represent 50,000 Christians. The vast majority of the non-Christian world is located where? In the 1040 window. Now, why do I show you this graph and this chart? To simply say that if we're going to talk about finishing the task, someone is going to have to have an address change. The blue dots are going to have to have a long-term address change. If we intend to reach the yellow dots, the orange dots, and the green dots, then the blue dots are going to have to have an address change. So let's very quickly unpack, what is the status of those being sent? If I, were to give you, if I were to give you 100 missionaries, Ben, can I pick on you again real, real quick? Try to get us out of here as soon as possible. Ben, if I were to give you 100 missionaries and I said, Ben, you could send them anywhere on the planet that you wanted. They've got their bags packed, passports, support raised. They'll go anywhere. You get to choose where they're going to go. How many of them would you put in the 1040 window? Vast majority, so like 67. Is that majority? 67.7. Okay, good. <laughs> 67.7. How many would you put in the box? All of them? She's like, I know I'm about to get bait and switched. I can just feel it. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) Here's the current reality. For every 100 missionaries that are sent out, for every 100 missionaries that are sent out, 96 of them are going to parts of the world that we would consider to already be, what? Reached. While roughly 2 to 4% are going into the box. Okay. So that's, that's the percentage of the blue dots that are moving into the box. And just like Mike said, what? They're unreached because they're hard. There's no doubt about it. To reach them, it will come at a cost. To tell you otherwise would be a disfavor. To tell you otherwise would be a disfavor. A lot of times I think we say as Christians, oh, the world is so resistant to the gospel. Statistically speaking, it's like the church is resistant to the what? To the world. (laughs) Oh, Christians are so, you know, oh, the world is so resistant to Jesus. Well, Jesus was clear, yes, they're going to reject you like they rejected me. So from a theological, biblical standpoint, yeah. But from a statistical standpoint, it's not so much that the world's resistant to the gospel and the church. It's that the church seems to be resistant to the what? Now, I don't share this with you to make you feel guilty because guilt's got a shelf life of about 48 hours and then it burns out. But I just want you to wake up to the reality of what the situation is, what the status of the task remaining is, and what our current sending force is. However, here's the good news. There are about 550 evangelical churches for every one unreached people group. Now, some of you aren't sure whether you're encouraged by that or depressed by that. Okay? Okay. There's about 550 evangelical churches for every one unreached people group. So what does this tell us? What does this statistic tell us, you guys? What? (laughs) They should be reached by now. What else does it tell us? We've got the resources, right? The resources are there. It's not a manpower issue. The, the, The manpower is there. And some of you might say, well, how many of those 550 churches are gospel, you know, believing Bible preaching churches? And how many of them are truly born again believers? And I'd say, okay, great, let's cut it in fifths. <laughs> That's still what? 100 churches for every one unreached people group. Even if you want to walk down that road with me and say, oh man, most of them probably aren't even Christians, I'd say, great. It's still roughly 100 to 1 if we cut it in fifths the manpower's there. How about the finances? Now, I know that you can't see this, so I'm going to read this to you as well. This figure over here on the far left represents Mount Everest. There's about 400 and, or, excuse me, $42 trillion in annual income that is generated by evangelicals. Okay, so evangelicals generate about $42 trillion in annual income. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around just how much $42 trillion is, so I've... I've illustrated that amount with a picture of Mount Everest. Now, how tall is Mount Everest? Anybody know? Yeah, it's about 30,000 feet, 29,028 feet, tallest mountain in the known world. How many of you have been on a commercial jet airliner before? Raise your hand if you've flown on a commercial jet airliner. Okay, a lot of us, commercial jet airliners, fly between 25,000 and 35,000 feet. So the next time that you're on a commercial jet airliner, I want you to think Mount Everest, and I want you to think $42 trillion dollars ...in annual income that is generated by evangelicals. Now, of that $42 trillion... ...1.8% is given to all Christian causes. Missions are non, by my definition. So, 1.8% of the $42 trillion is given to all Christian causes... ...and that 1.8% is represented by what? A football field. Of the 1.8% that's given to all Christian causes... 5% of the 1.8% is given to foreign missions. 1% of the 5% of the 1.8% is given to unreached people groups. And that is represented by what, you guys? A golf ball. The next time that you climb onto a commercial jet airliner, which I do a lot, I regularly look out the window and try to imagine seeing a what? A golf ball. Now, again, I want to be very careful with this as I bring us to a close. Do I share this with you to make you feel guilty? No. Some of you are very generous. You guys are sending people and giving in this church currently, but I want to take us all the way back to the beginning. What is the task remaining? And as we define what is the task remaining, what is the mission of the church, this has implications for how we spend our what? Our money. Some of you might ask me, Sean, how does this reflect your personal budget? I'd be glad to talk to you about that in a one-on-one setting if you want to know. I cannot think about the way that Meredith and I give the same way whenever I live under the reality of these truths. You with me? However, here's the good news. Is it really possible to finish the task? There are roughly 7,050 unreached people groups in the world today. Okay? 7,050 unreached people groups in the world today. If we sent teams of 10, that's a big team in the missions world, right? How big are most teams, Stephen and Candice? Three units, right? Less than six adults. So a a team of 10 would be a what kind of a team? that would be a generous team. So if we sent teams of 10 to each of the 7,050 unreached people groups, how many missionaries is it going to take? Roughly how many? 70,000. Well, 70,000 seems like a large number until you consider the fact that there are over 550 million self-professing evangelical Christians. And again, if you wanted to argue with me, most of them might not even be believers. That's fine. Let's cut it in fifths again. It would take 70,000, and we're talking about somewhere between 110 to 550 million evangelicals. How about financially? It would take an estimated $3 billion of annual support. How much money did I tell you is generated by evangelical Christians? Between about 40 and $41 trillion. Dollars. So why do I share all this with you guys as I bring us to a close? As we talk about what is the task remaining... And as you guys begin to evaluate both personally as believers and as a corporate body of believers, man, what might God want to continue to do in and through us here at Cape Bible is finishing the task, so to speak, is it possible? Yes. And so we can at least end this evening with the hope that the manpower and the money is there. But how it gets allocated and where it gets sent in large part is going to have to is going to surround be surrounded by how we define man what is the task of the church now i'm not saying that we need to jump over our neighbors on our way to the nations do you hear me i'm not saying that we jump over our neighbors on our way to the nations but reaching our neighbors alone hear me Reaching our neighbors alone in the name of missions will never complete the task remaining. Do you hear me say that? We're not jumping over our neighbors on our way to the nations, but reaching our neighbors alone in the name of missions is not going to be sufficient to finish the tasks.